1: Welcome to the Jenna Ellis Show, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Visit legacypminvestments.com. That's legacypminvestments.com.
0: As a constitutional law attorney, former senior legal advisor, and personal counsel to President Donald J. Trump, Jenna Ellis believes in the rule of law and the importance of integrity in our elections. And she's ready to tackle the big cultural and legal issues facing America. This is the Jenna Ellis Show. Here is your host, Jenna Ellis.
1: Legacy Precious Metals is the company that I trust to give you good and patient counsel for investing in your retirement. The Biden administration has caused a financial crisis and they have no clue how to fix it. Oil prices have skyrocketed. And when oil prices go up, not only do your expenses go up, but the cost of transportation and shipping spikes, leading the prices of goods to rise. And when And We're already seeing record inflation. That's the last thing that we need. Our economy is in trouble and you need to take steps to protect yourself. If all your money is tied up in stocks, bonds, and traditional markets, you may be vulnerable. So gold is one of the very best ways to protect your retirement. No matter what happens, you own your own gold. It's real, it's physical, and it's always been valuable since the dawn of time. Call Legacy Precious Metals today at 866 528 1903 or visit them online at legacypminvestments.com. That's legacypminvestments.com where you can download the free investor's guide. You can also go to my Facebook page, Jenna Ellis. I am a public figure on Facebook, and I just posted yesterday a really great interview with the president of Legacy Precious Metals who is discussing why you need to start your retirement account even if you're in your your 20s or 30s. There is always a great time to protect your retirement and invest just like you want to protect your health over the long term. So go to Legacy Precious Metals at LegacyPMInvestments.com or call 866-528-1903. All right, so joining me now is um, a new friend who has become a dear friend because I read his book, which is amazing. Everyone should get it. I've endorsed it as well, which is Caesar and the Church. And in the midst of all of the covid shutdowns and all of these questions that frankly Christians have wrestled with um, since you know the beginning of the church and understanding what is the difference between the role of the state and the role of the church I think this book really explains that from a theological and biblical perspective that is incredibly important that everyone should read especially if you've bought into this myth of separation of church and state well what does that actually mean so joining me now is Anthony for who's the author, and you're also a pastor, Anthony. So thank you so much for coming on, Anna. We're going to delve into this topic. So give me kind of just an overview of the book in the context of Romans 13.
2: Okay. Well, first, thanks for having me, Jenna. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you. Um, the, the book really is because this strange situation in the, the evangelical church in that Almost everybody prior to COVID had this sort of agreement that Romans 13 meant that you should obey Caesar unless doing so would be sinful. That that was kind of the the consensus. And and then COVID hits and we find people that share that interpretation who take complete past with regards to what they're going to do with their churches some people will you know say well we're not going to have we're not going to do any of these mandates we're just going to have churches and other churches have basically said well how high would you like me to jump and which hoops would you like me to go through and yet they have on paper except same interpretation of romans 13 i.e that you should obey. um and i sort of the book is really dealing with that um our situation, um, it, it it realizes that people have disagreed over who Caesar is, particularly in America. That the governor is it, the president is it, the Constitution, and, and these kind of issues. Um, and also, they disagreed clearly over what is sin. Is it sinful to miss church for a, a week, a month, a year? Um, these kind of issues. Um, but what the book says is that the interpretation. Um, obey Caesar and less sinful, is not what Romans 13 teaches. And so the book takes us on a journey where we kind of I take, I try to take the reader by the hand and walk uh, him or her through um, through the, what the Bible teaches regarding authority in a broader sense, so that when we come to Romans 12 and 13, we're better able to unpack it and understand.
1: Right, and, so, and I think that's such a critical question, and you're right that there had been this broad consensus and this understanding of Romans 13 um, just to say, well, we need to obey whatever the government says as long mm. as it doesn't obviously and profoundly yeah. uh, force us to violate um, our faith or, or have sin. So one of the, the best examples, or the easiest examples maybe, is if government— would force uh, women, like in China, for example, to say you can only have two children, and so have um, you know either forcibly uh, compelled abortions or to say you know you have to have um, some kind of contraceptive or something of that nature. That would be an obvious violation. But when it comes to things like the church, what is really the province of the church? And so, um, in this sense, you know the authority. We know from scripture that all authority comes from God, and our founders recognized that in our U.S. Constitution, which was amazing um, in world history and a very defining moment Whoa. to say that all authority comes from God. And so then you have this um, this this separation of powers, if you will. I mean, not just our government system, but also powers that are given uh, by God to. The government and also to the church. And so as those two entities have to interact with each other in civil society, Mm. what is the best understanding of Romans 13 from a theological perspective?
2: Well, and and the the start isn't Romans 13. And I think that's really crucial, Jenna, in that if we just jump into Romans 13 and expect to to sort of have everything there without under principles beforehand, then it becomes a harder task. I mean, as you said, rightly, that all authority belongs to God. And that has to be our starting point. If someone doesn't agree with that, then obviously we're not going to agree any further down the line. And then, as you said, God has delegated authority to various entities, including government. And the key thing to recognize is that when God does delegate authority, that authority still remains his because all authority is God's. So in the same way that if you were to let me drive your car, I, mean, I, I might be able to drive it, but it's not my car. You've just, you've just given it to me for a, for a particular journey, a particular period of time. And so it is with authority and God. God delegates authority, but it remains his. And all delegated authority is limited in regards to the person to whom it is given. It's limited with regards to the realm or the sphere that that person has authority in. And it's limited with regards to the extent that they can exercise authority and in the limitations of all those limitations uh, within Scripture. So when we come to Romans 13, I think people aren't coming with the right question. The question that people are coming to Romans 13 with typically is, well, do I have to submit to Caesar? And then they submit to the governing authorities. Oh, well, there it is. It's a done deal. The question that we should be coming to Romans 13 with is if all authority is God's, and if he delegates it to whom he chooses in a limited way what authority has god delegated to caesar and that that's actually the question that romans 13 answers it tells us the limitations of government as much as it speaks about submission to government <clears throat> you know if if as um as a pastor i i have authority over a church um but I don't have authority over somebody else's church i don't have authority over parking regulations outside the front of the my, my authority is limited and so really so much of the book is dealing with the concept of limited authority predominantly with regards to government but also in other areas as well and i know that some people have already said that in reading the book that they have been convicted that in Pastoring, or in being a husband, or a father, or a parent, that that they realize that they've overstepped the boundaries of authority that God's given them as well.
1: Mm, wow! And you know that's such a great um, articulation of a, of a lot of different things there. Um, but two things from there: one is that um, people do approach this question in an isolated way, of just oh going God. to Romans thirteen, almost in the same way. Um, and I and I parallel a lot of different things you know, in the practice of constitutional law very similarly to how, um, you know, we tend to read and interpret the Bible in some of the wrong ways that people read and interpret the law, including the Constitution and proof texting and just taking an isolated passage and then building an entire doctrine around it. A lot of pastors do that with Scripture in the same way that the Supreme Court does that with, for example, the Establishment Clause. They don't read it in context. And so when you're saying, Anthony, that Christians approach Romans 13, but they don't, they start there when they really should start way, way further back. And that's why the entire counsel of God matters. And if you just go looking for an answer, like you would go to a dictionary to read a definition, that's not going to give you the actually appropriate, more robust theological understanding and the fuller counsel of God in the exact same way as the Supreme Court so often narrowly and misinterprets Mm -hmm. the written text of the Constitution, because they do that exact same thing. They'll take one word, one phrase one clause, build a doctrine around it and then say, oh, this is what the establishment clause means when taken in context, that's entirely antithetical to the principle of what it means. And the second thing um, also, and I, I want to get your commentary on that, but the second thing as well is that um, you know when we're looking at the limited authority, often people approach um, the Authority of civil government, in I think the completely opposite way of how they should approach it. They approach it saying, okay, we're assuming that there is authority for the federal government to do that. And where do they get it? Instead of saying, wait a second, they have no authority at all except what has been delegated and in a limited fashion, delegated by the Constitution. And in the same way that Caesar has limited authority, you're absolutely right, the family sphere, the church sphere of government has limited delegated authority. So the central question then becomes, what is the power that is delegated to Caesar in the context of the Christian and in exercising our faith? So as we navigate that question, uh, what would you say is the appropriate authority that God has delegated to civil society when it comes to Christians interacting with society?
2: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're great questions. And I mean, the two kind of do those two questions do dovetail together, in a sense, in that. You know, I couldn't agree with you more with regards to the isolation of verses. I'm trying to um, come away from the expression out of context because it's always a perjurative term, isn't it? In that, um, you know, it always implies something negative. But, you know, sometimes just by having a verse in isolation, we just we just rob it of some of its glory, even if it is accurate in its in its most basic sense. And, and Romans 12 and 13 is one of those passages that really you need to understand in a larger context to understand it and you know romans 12 is the uh, in the second half of that chapter it's the passage of the bible that has that famous expression um or rather quotation of the famous expression vengeance is mine says the lord and and really what romans 12 is dealing with is how we deal with other people and in the context of dealing with other people if we are treated badly if someone is evil towards us then it's not our role we haven't been delegated authority to repay their evil with with evil. We, we, we can't retaliate. That's not our job. And um, God says that vengeance is his. But then as you go into chapter 13, it's clear that God chooses to impart, exercise his right of vengeance through the hand of civil government. And there and therein lies the the, pr- the primary role of civil government. The government's role there is to punish evil if If somebody were to hurt one of my children and were to hurt my wife, then there might be all sorts of things that I want to do in retaliation to that person because of you know amongst other things a, a deep seated sense of justice but i 'm not naive enough to think that I could put aside my emotions and be sober minded in, in in the totality of my of my judgment and retaliation and that 's why God has ordained it for government to step in and to be the hand that on behalf of God, will punish evil. And, you know, And when you understand that, of course, verses like Isaiah 5 and um, verses 20-21 that talks about, you know, woe to those who call good evil and evil good, really come to the fore. And in the book, I argue that, in fact, that Paul in Romans 12 and 13 is is alluding to that passage in Isaiah. Because mm-hmm. the government is supposed to punish evil. That's what God's given it the authority to do. But the government doesn't have authority to define what is evil and what is good. And that's absolutely crucial. So if the government says, well, you know, I'm going to punish this because this is a bad thing. And God says, well, actually, that's a good thing. Then we are immediately in a a situation where the failings of government impact us quite directly.
1: Vaccines have not eliminated the Chinese Fauci virus, so we all need extra protection for our immune systems. My friends at Centurion Labs have combined five key ingredients to defend your immune system against allergies, cold, the flu, and even the coronavirus. It's called Centurion Defender, and it incorporates vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, copper, and quercetin in just one capsule. No more swallowing 10 pills a day or not taking supplements because the individual cost is just too high. So take one Defender with breakfast and one with dinner and keep living your life. Just like the Centurions of Rome led by example and held themselves to the highest possible standards, Centurion Labs has dedicated the last 15 years to research and develop safe, effective, and affordable healthcare products made in the USA that you can trust. For a limited time, listeners of this show can save 20% off their first order of Centurion Defender. Visit centurionlabs.com forward slash Jenna and use the promo code J-E-N-N-A. Defend your health today with Centurion Defender. That's centurionlabs.com forward slash Jenna and the promo code Jenna. Centurion Labs, that's with an S, centurionlabs.com forward slash J-E-N-N-A. Right. And so what you're saying is that, and, and where I think Christians need to take a different view of government that government is actually an agent of God's authority. And if we look at government offices through that understanding of Scripture, then we have a totally different view of government. And we also have a totally different view of the Christian's obligation to participate in government and civil society. Because one of the other things that I think was um, not fully embraced, but a lot of people championed, a lot of Christians championed, prior to COVID was, well, politics is too dirty. We don't, you know, government can be secular. That's fine because we're not promoting a theocracy. Mm -hmm. And they've embraced that terminology and that false accusation from the secularists to say that if we are promoting Christian values and the Christian worldview in government, then somehow we're saying that the church should run government. That's Mm -hmm. a theocracy, the church running government. No, we're saying that God gives all authority, that is delegated by him, but he retains, of course, the absolute authority. And so when you delegate to someone, you can reclaim that authority at any time. You can, especially um, if they're abusive, you can dispute people of authority. But delegated authority is under specific terms, specific conditions, and it doesn't displace the divine authority giver from their uh, their actual capacity of having and ownership over that authority. Yeah. And so when we look at what uh, government is actually made for, and, and I think what you said crucially was the word you used, and, and I absolutely agree with that. Crucially, government can't define good versus evil. Government is only obligated by the authority it's been delegated from Christ and from mm-hmm. God uh, to make sure that they are agents of God's authority and if you look at it from that lens and say okay government is obligated then to as you know Micah 6 8 says do justice love mercy Um, walk humbly with your God doing justice is part of the government's role and in that sense we as Christians are obligated to ensure that government is run correctly and is not abusive of that authority and doesn't redefine good versus evil and that's a whole completely new landscape of how Christians absolutely should be involved in civil society, obviously involved in the church, but also making sure that Caesar isn't abusive of his authority.
2: Yeah. And and, and one of the things I address in the book is, is the the sort of the, the, the outworking of what you're saying there, which is that, you know, yes, we submit to Caesar. And, and, and I would totally say, even if Caesar is very bad at his job, we, we still submit to Caesar, in the authority he's given and this is the crucial bit submission is submitting to authority so so when people are saying well what, you know you're not going to submit to caesar i can only submit to caesar if he has authority for what he's telling me to do if if i'm if the government is saying you must do x and the government has no authority to do that then me doing it is not submission because submission by definition is submitting to a legitimate authority and so you know, I, I, I'm I am I think that we we so often broaden the definition of submission to mean doing whatever we're told by whomever seems to have a loud enough voice. And that's something that I think we need to get away from. Um but you know it it's it's the same in it's the same in the church as it is in the in the world, Jenna, and as I'm I'm sure you're aware of, in that, you know, it one thing I noted in the book is that people in churches who have said, well, you, you must wear a mask to come to our church or, you know, we'll have the vaccinated in this service and the unvaccinated in that service or what have you, that those people who are doing what they've been told to do illegitimately by Caesar, they are legalists themselves. They are people who are, are, are they're tyrants. They're going beyond their authority. So why would they have a problem with Caesar going beyond his authority? And I do think that you will find not not always but but very very regularly you will find a connection between churches that have accepted Caesar's tyranny and churches that had their own form of tyranny long before covid came along.
1: Mm. So do you think that it is a sin to submit to authority that is overbroad and when there is no actual authority and so because some people have gone so far as to say that if you submit to asking or some of these things, then you are allowing the allowing Caesar to be too overbroad. Where, where are the lines and how should people process through those questions?
2: Well, that's, that's the entire third part of my book really deals with that whole question. And, um, and, and just to, to slightly correct, again, we're, we're, so, we're so used to using these terms like, you know, is it wrong to submit if he doesn't have authority? If he doesn't have authority, we can't submit. That's, that's what the submission is, um, is submitting to authority. But with regards to, to what degree do we comply with tyranny? Um, I think the, the answer that I deal with in the book is, 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 is really very pragmatic. In that, you know, there are some times when the Bible says you should do certain things. So we know that we, we shouldn't forsake meeting together. We understand the, the absolute essential nature of church. So for someone to say, well, you can't go to church for until we say otherwise. Well, then, then we know that we can't comply with that because that is immediately sort of conflicting with with what God has told us to do. But with regards to other things, like wearing a mask in a store or what have you, um, then people are going to come to different conclusions. And and so often that's going to come on the basis of pragmatism. Um, And My main concern is that people understand that Caesar doesn't have the authority to tell them to do these things. If they then choose to do them for pragmatic reasons, then that is really something that they need to be motivated by both love and conscience. And some people are convinced, medically speaking, of the efficacy of masks. And so they think that it's loving to wear a mask to not spread, potentially spread the virus to their neighbors. And other people are equally convinced that that's a load of nonsense and that it doesn't really make any difference at all and thus it's compelled speech. And they feel that it's loving to their neighbor to not wear a mask where there is a local mandate because in doing so, they are fighting tyranny on behalf of their neighbor, on behalf of the, the next generation and what have you. And my concern as a pastor is not to correct either one of those parties because I'm a pastor, I'm not a doctor. My opinion on the efficacy of masks is pretty much irrelevant. I can make a decision for myself, but it's not my job as a pastor to make a decision for other people. My concern for them would be that whatever decision they make, that it is motivated by love and it is motivated uh, by their conscience. Because Romans 14 is very clear. If our conscience tells us that it's simple to do something, but if that doesn't contradict scripture, then we must go with our conscience. And, and so people are going to have different conclusions on this. And, you know, for me, going into a store and being that person without a mask is actually a loving thing to do. But on the other hand, I haven't seen my grandson yet, who's lived 6,000 miles away in England, and I'm going to be going. And I'm not going to do anything that would risk putting me on a no-fly list. And that's just pragmatism. That's just the reality of it.
1: Right. And I think that explanation is um, is is so great for people to hear because there is this prevailing viewpoint that either masking or unmasking is sin either way. And there are so many people who are staunchly because of their own convictions. They are then saying, well, there is a biblical requirement one way or another. And your explanation of pragmatism, but especially conscience I think is incredibly important because there is, um, there is freedom in Christ and the conscience verse verses that Paul talks about you know, really does uh, really describe that a, a Christian and another Christian can come to two different conclusions on the same conduct that may be sin for one person that isn't for another. And that, Diversification, I think, is very difficult for people to grasp yeah. when they are convinced that it is sin or they're very convinced that it isn't. They have a hard time separating that it may be. Uh, unique and we do because we obviously want to reject kind yeah. of a relativistic my truth versus your truth <clears throat> and that's of course important and crucial to know that there are certain things that are just inherently evil and wrong there isn't a diversification of opinion on certain things but on a lot there actually is
2: Yeah and I think one of the things that's really helpful been helpful to people in the book is is this dealing with the issue of legalism you know as bible believing christians we are so I, I, we have a motivation to want to know what the truth is, and that is a wonderful thing. But we find it hard when things, when we can't categorize things as, as right or wrong. And when we have these kind of gray areas, we we find that a difficult thing many, many times for us to deal with. And like you say, people people feel that they want to say, well, this is always right and this is always wrong when the Bible doesn't say. And one thing we've been very careful to do at our church here in Burbank is we've we've from the very beginning you know made it clear I'm, I'm not i'm not a lawyer you know you have that advantage over me but i'm not a lawyer i'm not a doctor i don't get to make determinations in those areas and but when it comes to legalism that is something i need to be aware of and to warn people and, and so I, you're right it is difficult for people but let's make it a little bit easier when you see a pastor who has a sign outside of his church as several have done in the last couple of years saying you basically that you can't come into the church if you do wear a mask we don't have fear in this building that that kind of rhetoric then then what that pastor is doing ironically is exactly the same thing as what caesar is doing they are becoming a tyrant and they are making medical decisions for a congregation that they have no basis to make Mm -hmm. If if there's a person in their congregation who believes that wearing a mask is something that is a reasonable thing and a loving thing to do to prevent the spread, potential spread of a virus, then they're entitled to do that without mockery, without being, being made a, some sort of second-class Christian or like, any some degree of partiality. There's, there's no, there's, the pastor has no authority to treat their congregation that way. If, if a person is living in fear, if that is motivated by fear, then there may be a conversation to be had But that would have to be communicated by that person because, and so many pastors need to hear this, we don't know people's hearts. God is the one that does, and we don't get to play guessing games. Um, yes. you know, and that's we,
1: exactly why I I have never disclosed publicly my own vaccination status. And people have, you know, asked me uh, or and they've presumed, you know, this and that based on events I've been to or other things. Yeah, they've presumed that, and the only reason that I haven't is because I don't want that to be a presumption on other people who have or have not taken the vaccine because that is a matter of conscience. I know people who are vaccinated because they think that that is in their own best medical interests. They have calculated the risk and they've determined that's the best choice for myself. And there are other people who have done the exact same calculation and they have arrived at the conclusion, I'm not going to get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And from a biblical perspective. Both of those things are, are entirely OK. Yeah. And I have not tried to judge either one. Now, again, as you've said, motivations can be different. And if people are living in fear and that's the only reason that they've accepted the vaccine or they are maybe piously and say and flaunting their unvaxxed status, those are also wrong things. And so from the perspective of saying, you know what, we can love each other and recognize that everyone has to make the best decision for themselves and for their family with all of the different information, evidence, um, consulting with their doctor, We may arrive at different conclusions, just like different people take other types of medications that are going to be different based on their own unique health status. That's okay. We are different in that sense. But the motivation and the heart issue, as you said, Pastor, Mm -hmm. is so incredibly important. And I think that is something for Christians to really, really stop and consider and think about as we're navigating all of these issues with COVID as well.
2: Yeah, and I had noted that you... That you have been very careful not to do that. And I, and I really think that's a wise way to approach it. I mean, I have a dear friend of mine who uh, is a, a pastor who does a lot of missionary work. And, and he had to wrestle with the whole vaccination issue and decided that he really wasn't in favor of the vaccination, really didn't want to do it. But he wanted to do the missionary work he felt he was called to even more. And so he got vaccinated so that he can make trips to various places to serve um, to serve for the sake of the gospel. And I mean, th- these, these decisions are so much more complex than we give them credit for. Um, Absolutely. And, and so everybody, you know, I do think that third section of the book where, where I'm talking about, you know, once we've dealt with the biblical principles, once we've dealt with the interpretation of Romans 12 and 13, how do we practically make decisions? And I think that there are far too many legalists around in the church. And I think that we need to recognize the, the, the limitations of scripture, if it doesn't say this is wrong or that this must be done, that we have this freedom and the importance of conscience and love in making those decisions. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's, a, that's such a wonderful liberty and yeah. uh, that Christians, I think, don't fully embrace and appreciate enough. And it's interesting how uh, with refusing to understand that in scripture Then Christians can, in a sense, as you've said, become petty tyrants ourselves and Mm. we can uh, become the petty tyrants, whether that's to our own families, uh, whether that's within the church, whether it's in our communities and truly loving each other in Mm. uh, how the Bible describes it and, and actually defines true love is to understand the full counsel of God. And so moving forward then, um, in just the last few minutes that I have with here, and we'll definitely have to do a part two, cause I could talk about this, um, for, for so much longer. And I think you've explained this so incredibly well, and I hope everyone reads this book. Um, but what should our attitude then be as we've taken all of these lessons from COVID, we've taken all of these lessons to actually understand not just Romans 13, but the greater principles and context, um, how should a Christian in the United States is that going to be different than maybe the Christian in Canada? Um, you know what should be kind of our operating principles then to be able to navigate and analyze these issues um, independently of what either the government or the other petty tyrants are trying to force on us?
2: Well you know I, again I think it is a lot of it's going to come down to individual decisions that people will need to make but I do I do think that the the Christian, approach to, to Caesar has, in this country at least, because uh, I've, I've witnessed it more closely, has really bordered on, on the, uh, the edge of idolatry. Um, I think one of the things that people don't recognize enough is that the idolatry of Israel in the Old Testament was never monotheistic. It was never that they were like, oh, we're done with Yahweh, we're just going to worship Baal from now on. It was, always, it was always the addition of idols to Yahweh. And Christians today don't seem to realize that, you know, I'm all for people having these individual decisions of conscience, as I've said, where they make decisions regarding masks and and how they deal with government and what have you. But at the end of the day, as Christians, we need to look to Christ to be our savior. We need to look to, uh, to Christ to be the one who has all authority. And, you know, the government if we start to, to bow before the government if we if we fear the government rather than fear god if we if our biggest concern is obeying the government if if we look to the government to be our parent to be our doctor to be our to be the one who makes moral decisions for us we really have moved into the whole realm of statism and, and, and that is idolatry and i think that there are you know there is balance to be struck where we allow people to wrestle with their conscience as individuals. But broadly speaking, we have to be more fearful of statism than we have been. Um, and, you know, you look at somewhere like Canada and you see all the people that have rallied around and the truckers and the, the demonstrations, and it was, was a wonderful thing to behold. But where were they last year when James Coates was being arrested? Where were they when um, when Tim Stevens was being arrested? And and I think I think the reality of, of this this whole situation is this is that I keep hearing this expression, it's it's just a mask. It's just a mask. And, and the reality is, it's not. It's 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 a it may be a mild form of tyranny, but it's a form of tyranny. It's the government going beyond the authority that God has delegated to it. And if we accept tyranny. Then the time, then we finally say, "Well, that tyranny we can't accept." It may well be too late, and I do fear that that's what many Canadians are discovering right now.
1: Yes. And that's why so many people here in the United States, myself included, pushed back so hard against the church closures and the vaccine mandates. Because if a, if the government can forcibly compel you to inject yourself with yeah. your substance under yeah. the auspices of health and safety, then what can't they do? And so even if you are a person that agreed that the vaccine is a good thing and everyone should take it. That's not your decision to make, but that's wow. certainly not the government's authority to compel everyone to comply. And so if we allow that precedent, we will get so far downstream from where our freedoms and liberties are protected. Then you're absolutely right. We will cease to become a free society and we will find ourselves as, you know, the the old Testament um, or the um, the old church Christians were yeah. um, you know in the New Testament but the you know the the uh, the Christians there who were combating so much persecution because they didn't have freedom and liberty to express and exercise their faith and some of our expression and exercising a faith is conscience based and that's why a free society and understanding the overarching principles of religious freedom it's not just about what a what the supreme court might define as religious exercise if the supreme court gets to decide what I personally believe is part of my faith and my religious exercise, and they're allowed to narrow and confine that and cabin it just to what's in the doors of my church. They're missing the entire point of what it means to be a Christian because Mm -hmm. I live and breathe my faith and everything that we do should be motivated by uh, continuing in the Great Commission and continuing to live our lives and doing everything to the glory of God. Yeah. So we have to make sure that we don't have those bad precedents. And I think you're absolutely right that Canada is recognizing that. And and I think even Christians here in the United States, everyone is waking up to how tenuous and very, very, very precarious true liberty is once we even start down that road.
2: Yeah, and 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 as you say, you know, we as individuals have to make these decisions regarding our faith, and that whatever decisions we make regarding vaccines, masks, whatever, we all have to keep our eyes on the one true king because um, uh, we need to fear him and fear him, um, you know, rather than Caesar, that is for sure. Um, and I think if we're doing that, then other little mistakes we make along the way can be accommodated you know We this is the big picture the big picture is that we fear and we serve our Lord Jesus Christ
1: amen to that well Anthony you've encouraged me today to continue to keep uh, speaking boldly for truth and to not fear anything but the one true Lord and fear him because I know that he loved me first and I get to love him back and I get to uh, choose salvation and to choose to live my life um, for the Lord. So thank you so much for writing this book, for coming on. Uh, where can people find the book and um, and read it? I would encourage everyone to. It's it's really amazing. And again, thank you so much for the work that you're doing.
2: Thanks, Jenna. It's uh, it's available uh, right now on, on Amazon. And um, as of, I think, about a week or so, from, maybe a couple of weeks from now, Um, you'll be able to get it direct from the publisher, which is Crest Biblical Resources as well.
1: Perfect. All right. So um, Caesar and the Church by uh, Pastor Anthony Forsyth. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for being with me today. Thanks, Jen. I also want to talk about my good friend, Mike Lindell. He has been canceled out of so many box stores for simply standing up for his own political opinion and disagree or not uh, or support him or not. It is a fundamental right of every American to be able to voice their opinion. And that absolutely includes politics. That absolutely includes uh, issues that are central to our culture. That includes faith. Uh, Mike is such a very sincere Christian, and I am proud to consider him a friend. And he is, of course, a friend of this show. So right now, there is a special on MyPillow.com. Click on the new radio listener specials. Get deep discounts on all mypello products, including a great towel set, which is a six-piece set includes two bath, two hand towels, two washcloths, made in the USA, regularly $109.99, now just 39.99, but you have to use the promo code Jenna. That's J-E-N-N-A. That tells Mike that you listen to the show. You're happy that he is uh, a sponsor of this show and you will get great, great discounts, but use the promo code Jenna. That's J-E-N-N-A either at MyPillow.com or call 1-800-564-8475 and use the promo code Jenna.